You're listening to highlights from One Planet Podcast's interview with Karen Pincus, professor of Italian and comparative literature at Cornell University. So for many years, I wrote and taught and published about climate change from a more philosophical, existential point of view, especially thinking about deep time. But I did come back to fuels with my fuel book, in part spurred the fact that so much of the press and so much of public discourse confuses fuel and energy. And it's still happening today. And it's, it's a bit frustrating to me, you know, because I feel like I've thought about this so long and it's the same themes, the same tropes are still being recycled. All we have to do is plug in a greener fuel. We just need to get green fuels in there and everything will be fine. Everything will kind of be taken care of. So part of the purpose of the book was to deconstruct that idea and to really show that fuels are separate from energy. Fuels are inputs, they're substances that we insert into systems of energy. And I found that working with literature was a great way to think about that. But also I put in all kinds of fuels into my book, not just real ones, not just fossil fuels or quote unquote alternative fuels, but made-up fuels, utopian fuels, dystopian fuels, items that people have proposed in the past that never really went anywhere. So the book is meant to help people think, and I have heard from a lot of people that it's a, a book that makes you really think about some fundamental assumptions that we have about fuels and energy. Clearly, the model of individual responses and consumerism is completely inadequate to deal with the problem. And yet it's the model that gets perpetuated in mainstream discourse, in the press, as you both know, clearly as listeners will know, this is being recorded on August 16th. And within the past week, the IPCC report came out and the press widely reported on the report And almost every news story I saw on television or even in print media asked some expert, usually a scientist, what can we do? And so we are caught in a dilemma. We can't dismiss the idea of individual responsibility. And the the way you put it is is very beautiful and very moving, I think, which is that we are animals and we should behave like other species of animals on the planet, on the surface that we share with them. At the same time, we are consumers. And that model seems so pervasive. It's, it's so impossible to get outside of it. And I, I find it just really intellectually bankrupt and also so problematic in terms of really addressing the gravity of the situation. I'm becoming more and more convinced that if we want to act in good faith, we need to make some kinds of, let's say, revolutionary changes. And I don't say that in a kind of glib way, like, yeah, let's have a revolution. Wouldn't that be great? I would prefer that we didn't have to, you know, because revolutions could be unbelievably destabilizing. So the fantasy and imagination required to think about 
what we have to change is really far beyond our kind of comfort zones. And even if those comfort zones are narratives of dystopia, they're still comforting because they conform to the narratives that we're familiar with and they use language that we're familiar with. So what, what we probably need is something really outside of anything that would be comforting. And that is really frightening. But I think it's those actors who can muster that kind of imagination are the ones that inspire me. I do think when I think about addressing, say, climate change, it, it's not that, that different from saying learning a language so that you can fundamentally shape or scramble your brain and think differently so that you're not just doing something in order to get a job. And I realize that can sound very elitist, you know, because I do have a job and I teach at a prestigious university. But if you think about it from another perspective, if we don't think, if we don't read literature, if we don't think with literature, if we don't use our imaginations, if we don't learn another language and really immerse ourselves in it, I mean, what is it that we're saving? when we think about saving humanity or saving um, cultures. As you think about the, the future and this, the kind of world we're leaving the next generation and, and also for you, the importance of humanities and the arts and the future of education, what are some things that have important lessons that, uh, for you in your career path and what would you like young people to know, preserve and remember? I, I think I would learn more from them than vice versa, because I think the very model of inheritance, you know, that we have to leave um, a better world for our children and what is the legacy we're leaving them? I mean, it could be argued that that very model, that very mode of thought and even a certain mode of thought of intergenerational fairness is tied to a very sort of patriarchal and capitalist mode of inheritance and property and ownership. So I would not feel comfortable saying, here's what I want to leave the future. I would actually say that the future should speak to us and we should be able to listen somehow to different kinds of futures and we should be open to other modes because this idea that you can mobilize people, for example, in my university, we heard that the, the trustees, which are by nature a very conservative body, they have a fiduciary relationship to the, the future of the university, that they are moved by the idea that they care about their grandchildren. They want to leave a better world for their grandchildren. So, I mean, I'm arguing, and again, this is very polemical, but I'm arguing that 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 very mode of thinking is part and parcel of a kind of mode of thought that we should probably get out of. And it's, it's not going to lead to action that is radical enough. And it's going to lead to a kind of incremental change or a superficial change that is not adequate to what we're facing now. So let's think in a much more radical way and let's listen to other ideas rather than this idea of legacy. And I do think it would be, you know, it would be great if people can continue to study the humanities because we need smart people and the humanities 
are just the humanistic disciplines are disciplines that really make us think without necessarily an immediate reward or end. So I would say that if we want to save the world, that would be why, so that we can continue to think. At the same time, I think perhaps the university and our, our current modes of thought need to be turned upside down, at least for a while until we can decarbonize the world very quickly. We hope you've enjoyed listening to this program and listening to the highlights of this podcast. If you would like to get involved in One Planet Podcast or learn more about environmental projects, click on the subscribe button. Thank you for listening.